So we are, we are speaking about orphans today, and actually, officially, uh, Orphan Sunday is next week, and uh, we're celebrating it, or we're kind of remembering it a week early, and the reason, there's a reason why we're talking about orphans, because here at K2, I just want to let you know right out of the gate, we are all about Jesus. It is always completely, thoroughly, all the time, every time, about Jesus. And we, as a people, as his followers, want to be about the things that Jesus is about. We want to be about the people that Jesus is about. We want to have the values that Jesus has. And so, what are our three letters here? If you've been here for a while, we are, we're about three letters. What are they? FTO. Yep, we're about being focused on Jesus and focused on his word. T, we're about being tight together. Jesus prayed for his disciples and all who would believe, that's you and me, because of their word, that we would be one as he, the Son, and the Father were, that they would be, as they are one, that we would be one together so that the world would know for real that he was God and that God loves them. And so we're focused, we're tight, and we're out there. Yeah, O is for out there. And we intentionally take the light of Christ take the word of God, take the love of Jesus. We intentionally take it out there to our communities, to our neighbors, to our family. And we want to do that in the way that Jesus calls us to. And we're going to discover today that Jesus has a priority, that God has a priority for orphans and widows. And for you and I, now I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every day and think about orienting myself towards the most needy people. I just don't. I usually wake up and I think about orienting myself towards who? Towards myself. And Jesus says, well, we'll discover it together. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit about kind of how this has come to play in my life. Um, And a lot of you have asked me this. Um, You guys know, most of you, if you've been around, you know that Crystal and I moved here only three months ago in August. And we just moved back from being about five and a half years in Africa, in southern Africa. And a number of you have said, hey, when are you going to tell us the whole story? And I want to let you know, this isn't that morning. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But I will tell you a little bit about it. I was a youth pastor in Oregon where I was going to grad school. Crystal and I got married in 1995. And uh, we just had our 15th anniversary last year, or this year actually. And uh, I lost my train of thought. I looked over and I saw Crystal and I started talking about our anniversary and now I'm all, uh, I'm all off focus. Hey, babe. How are you? Um, so good morning, K2. It's good to see you. We moved to Oregon and I was going to grad school and I was a youth pastor. And uh, just through the course of studying through the book of James... Uh, my leadership team and I, we ran into this verse, and it's in James 127. And you might have read this verse before, and I probably read it a bunch of times. Yeah, but we read it, and we're studying through the book of James, and, and it says this. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And... Boy, we, we looked at that passage, and the word religion there isn't used in the way that 
sometimes today we use the word religion. We use the word religion to kind of be the opposite of what it is to live a life of faith, right? A lot of us grew up in a place where where religion meant that if I dress a certain way and act a certain way and if I can check these things off, then hopefully in the end, right, that I'm good before God, that the good in my life outweighs the bad in my life. And that's kind of the way we use the word religion around here and currently. This is a different word in the sense that this is just talking about a true pursuit of God. True pursuit of God, a true pursuit of a relationship with him that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress to keep, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In my experience, in Bible college and in seminary, growing up in the church, serving in the church, working in the church, in my experience, we talk a lot about not being polluted by the world. Almost every Sunday, in some fashion, we're going to talk about pursuing Jesus and not being polluted by the world. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of what we talk about. But this first part, about caring for orphans and widows in their distress, in... In like, uh, I don't know, for me it was like 2002. In 2002, I said, God, I have no idea about this. I have never in my life said, I'm going to pursue caring for orphans and widows in their distress. My only context for this was sometimes as a youth group, if, if any of you ever grew up in church, sometimes a youth group, you go and you sing Christmas carols at a nursing home. You know what I'm talking about? And um, none of us looks forward to the day that we be in that nursing home, but we know that that's our future, and, and we, so we kind of avoid that. And we don't like the smells of it and the looks of it. And when you're a kid, you're just not, you're not gracious enough to enjoy the people. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so when I thought just about widows, that's the only thought I had. And here I am, and I'm a youth pastor, and I'm in seminary, and we just came to a place of real repentance about this. Because to be honest with you folks, I just, I didn't care about orphans in their distress. And here I was teaching people to follow Jesus, to pursue religion that pleases God, and I don't even know anything about it. And so for me and my leadership team, it was just a real season of repentance. And so we started to say, and this just legit, I just want you to know, whether you're brand new, first day, or whether you've come here for six years, I want you to know that this is the question that I want to dare you, encourage you, ask you to ask God today. I just want to encourage you to say, God, how am I supposed to care for orphans and widows in their distress? I can't prescribe for you what that will look like. Do you know what I mean? I can't tell you how to care for orphans and widows exactly. I can tell you that God's word says we should, but I can't prescribe exactly what it looks like for you. Otherwise, we would all try and check that box off and feel good about ourselves. But you and I have to somehow, because of Jesus, because of God's love for us, we have to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And so we began to ask that, and that meant a few things for us as a youth ministry. And about a year later, Crystal and I heard about the need in Africa. And to be honest, God, in the clearest moment ever in my life, and I could tell you all the details about it sometime, uh, maybe sometime later, but everything but audibly out of the sky, I knew in a moment in time that God had just told me 
that I needed to move to Africa and serve him there. I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know how to exactly define it. But I knew in a moment in time that God had just spoken to me and told me to go to Africa. And, and when Crystal and I went, we were thinking, again, here, God had already been doing in me this work of trying to learn to value orphans and widows and to care for them in their distress. And we heard about the need, but when I heard about the need, I thought, I want to go to Africa and do a nice, clean, and tidy ministry. I want to, I'm a teacher, and so I want to train other pastors and raise other guys up because they can surely pastor there better than I can, and I don't have to learn a bunch of languages and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought we would go there and do that. And Crystal and I went over to look at a, a few different groups that were doing that, and when we got there, there were kids everywhere in the streets. We were in a city called Maputo, and there were children everywhere. And in my view, there weren't parents anywhere. There were people who were older, and there were people who were younger. And the age of 30 to 55, they were gone. And in southern Africa, in a lot of places, that's kind of what it's like. Because HIV hits that sexually active adult group, and and they've been wiped out. And we ended up moving to Swaziland, and we served, specifically targeting those things, that we would take care of orphans, and that we would try to provide food out in the rural areas where the, where the families grow food so that they would have good, nutritious food and they wouldn't be made vulnerable by their lack of food. And we taught HIV prevention in the schools. And we worked with a couple of different groups to do that. And that's, that's what God did. But even in me discovering this, I still went over and didn't have a heart for orphans and widows. And it was only in being there that, again, I had to be convicted again. And see, that's why we're doing this this morning. Like you probably all, many of you who've been in church for a long time, you've heard this verse before, but somehow we lose focus, don't we? Somehow we lose focus from the things we should care about, and we just put our focus back onto ourselves. And there's this theme running through God's word that he cares for the most needy, that he cares for those who are broken, that he cares for those who are made vulnerable. And that's how we got to Africa. And, and, uh, and another day, I'll connect the dots between Africa and getting here to you. But we're so happy that God has brought us here and God allowed us to learn some of those things there. And to really, let me tell you, um, it's hard. It really is. It's hard to walk with somebody in their distress. I don't know if you've ever walked with anybody in their distress, but it's not simple. It's not neat. Um, girl that worked for me died last year, and uh, we knew she was dying, and she didn't want to believe she had AIDS, even though she had all the symptoms of it, and, and it kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, she said... It was just one guy, one time. And my mom told me not to hang out with him and told me not to spend time with him. But I did. And so we walked with her and we went to the hospital with her and we served with her. And at one point, I had to hire her replacement while she was still alive so that so that she could train the person who would replace her. 
and then she went home to be with Jesus. And it's not simple, and it's painful to walk with people who are made vulnerable in difficult situations. Kids who are made orphans become vulnerable in lots of ways, and in this culture it looks different than in that culture. But you and I need to know that people who are made vulnerable, they're desperate, and they do desperate things. And it's, it's important that even as we enter into the conversation, that you know and that I know that, that we're supposed to take the love of Jesus into desperate situations and gently and humbly and patiently love people in those situations. I want to share another verse with you. Um, and really, you got to know that in t- I never knew this. I'm just, I'm just repenting again to you that I was raised in a church. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary, and I never knew this. I never heard this in a class. I never heard it in a lecture. I probably at some point might have heard it in a sermon, but it just flew right over my head. We as a church, largely until the last couple years, have not valued this well. And we haven't been the body of Christ well to our culture or maybe even to cultures around the world on this issue. God, whenever he defines himself to his people, Whenever he says, this is who I am. Well, let's read it. Go to Deuteronomy 10. And in verse 17, uh, he's speaking to the people of Israel. And he says this. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome. And I love that. And God, God is all those things. He is holy and just and mighty. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And whenever God tells people, who he is, he almost always follows it with his character and what he cares about. And this is what he says. He says, I am the great, mighty, awesome God of gods. He shows no partiality and he accepts no bribes. Another translation says he cannot be bought. Don't you love that? We can't buy God off. You and I would attempt to many, many times to try and buy his pleasure or, or buy, but He can't be bought. Only Jesus, who paid the price for our sins, to cover our sin, can pay the price. He accepts no bribes and he cannot be bought. And out of his greatness and out of his justice and out of his holiness, here's what he says. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you were to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. And while this word is to the people of Israel, who were now possessing the promised land, this is what God says his character is, and these are the kind of people that he loves. And to you and I, here's what I simply want to ask. Because we know and we have the Spirit of God living in us, we, we know this God I want to ask you and, and, and me and just say, do we defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow? Do you think of yourself as one who defends their cause? I know a few of you who do. And I just want to applaud you and say thank you for leading us. Some of you have rebuilt homes for widows. I want to applaud you. 
and say that you have lived out the character and the spirit of God in you? Do you defend the cause of the fatherless? Do you defend the cause of the alien? Do you know how hard it is to live in another place? It's not simple. Do we, let me just ask you, are you about the cause of the alien, maybe even the illegal alien here in our midst? Because God says, even to his people Israel, who he told to cast everyone out, he says, in your heart and in your life, you ought to be about the alien that God brings into your midst because you once were aliens and you ought to care about them. And so God here, he says, I am great and mighty and I want you to care about the most vulnerable people in all of culture. The most vulnerable people all around you, I want you to orient your wealth. I want you to orient your life. I want you to orient your time towards finding solutions for them and their plight. And that's a hard thing to do. And so today, our desire is really not that we would propose the exact answer for you, but that we would give you the opportunity to say to God, God, how do I defend the cause of the orphan and the widow. I know that you love me. Do you know that the Bible says that, that God puts himself in relationship to us and he uses two examples. Do you know what those are? What his relationship is to us? He says that he is a, a father and a husband to us in the Bible. That he is a father and he is a husband. He is a father who will never leave us and never forsake us. He is a husband that will never leave us, never abandon us, never forsake us. And so moms and dads, I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter what the past holds for you today, I want to encourage you, don't ever leave. Because God calls us to be like him to our kids. Don't ever leave. Pursue him. Pursue being the best father, the best mother you can. I know that carries with it a measure of pain because we all know the failures of our lives. I know the failures of my life of not being a perfect father. We should never leave because God says, I'm a father who never leaves, who never forsakes, no matter how hard it is. Husbands, don't ever leave. Don't ever forsake. I love the picture in Ezekiel where God says to his people in Israel, he says, you were like a baby left to die. You didn't even have your umbilical cord. You were left to die in a field. And I came and I found you and I picked you up and I cleaned you and I nurtured you and I raised you and you became a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I raised you in purity and, and you became a woman and then you became my wife. And that's how God pictures his relationship to us. And then he goes on to say that you left. You abandoned me. And you were orphaned and you were estranged in your sin. And the picture of the Bible is that God comes and he buys us back. And he redeems us. He adopts us. In Romans it says 
that God adopts us as his children when we believe, that he adopts us as his own, that we become co-heirs, not just, not just servants in the house. We don't have a spirit of being servants, of slaves. We are, we're adopted as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. The worship team is going to come on up. And, and I want to encourage you as they play, I want to encourage you to pray about this. Because the more you discover God's word, in God's word, that he cares for you, that he loves you in, in your abandonment, that he adopted you and made you his own, the more you understand the character of God and his call for us to love in that same way, it makes a difference with the kid down the street that doesn't have a mom. It makes a difference with all of your kids' friends at school who maybe don't have a dad. It makes a difference when you hear there's an opportunity to sponsor somebody who doesn't have parents in another country. And so I would encourage you uh, to pray. You know, it's one thing to, thank you so much. It's one thing to talk just about the idea. um, And it's another thing to hear a story of it. You know what I mean? And... You know, here at K2, we actually, three of our, three of our pastors on staff, uh, I think three, three of our pastors on staff uh, have adopted people into their families from different places, some domestically, some internationally, and many of you have, just out of this exact heart, that, that we as a people would be lovers of God, and we would take God's love tangibly to those who've been abandoned through the death of their parents or some other situation. And I wanted you to hear a little bit of my wife Crystal's story. And Crystal, why don't you come on up? And, uh, and I think I, uh, I'm glad to have you here. I know I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> you guys welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and we wanted to talk a little bit, not just about the idea of, of adoption from from our point of view, but what it's like to grow up as somebody who got rescued and literally can see that in hindsight. And so thanks for sharing with us a little bit of your story. I know this is an emotional morning. It's emotional for us, too. We didn't sleep most of the night and uh, just talking together and praying about it. And Thanks for sharing. Sure. Um, this is my wife, Crystal, <laughs> if you don't know her. I already said that. Um, There's a lot to this story, but of course I want to just keep it to the part that is applicable for this morning, just talking about being rescued and being rescuers. I happen to be the person that was rescued, and I just want to be able to share with you um, from my point of view what that was like. And um, it started with uh, a young lady, and her name was Liz, and she unfortunately did not have the best parents, upbringing, just a broken home, dysfunction, abuse, um, alcohol abuse in the home, and she ended up in a home for girls and, um, and got to know some parents that loved her, uh, uh, some boundaries in her life finally, some love, some guidelines in her life. But two years later, she decided to run away and join a carnival. And um, that lady met a man, and, um, and I was born. And I was born to a very broken, lonely, abandoned 
young woman, and she was about 19 at the time. And her life was just falling apart, and yet here she has a baby and trying to raise this child and having no idea how to do that, having no past uh, experience, how to nurture, how to give love, how to how to raise a child. And uh, when things got really bad and this boyfriend that was around in her life left, she decided to seek out this lady who took care of her in the girl's home. And this woman's name was Florence. And uh, Florence um, was just one of these amazing ladies who always gave of herself no matter what. And she ran this, gr- this home for girls, but she, her never, she never had children. She never got married. Um, she just was a person that just always gave of herself. And uh, my mom, Liz, said, I have to look up Florence. My life is falling apart. I have this two-year-old, uh, you know. So she looked up Florence. And Florence, I uh, have no idea why. I don't know what happened, what God, but gave her a gift of a love for me that only God could give and said, I vow in my life to make sure that this child will never turn out like her mom because my mom's life was just falling apart. She was an addicted mom. She used drugs and alcohol. She had a rotating door of men in her life just to cope, just to have somebody care for her, just to have love, to have acceptance in her life. And um, I, unfortunately, was part of that life that she led. And um, I didn't know any better, but, you know, a two-year-old lives a lot of life, believe it or not. I think of my Parker. He's lived a lot of life. He's lived on two continents now. He's been born in Africa. He knows how to speak. He has memories. There's a lot of life and a two-year-old. And at that point, I had lived a lot of life with my mom and her lifestyle. And I think Florence, her heart broke, and she saw that. And she reached out, and she became a rescuer for me. What did that look like as, uh, as that got started? What it looked like at the beginning was um, because... Florence didn't have any legal rights over me. She just became involved in whatever way she could. And so what that looked like was to take me for the weekends. And so she would take me for the weekends. And how, I would, how old was Florence? Florence, I believe, she was in her late 50s. She's older. She's almost looking at retirement. She's full-time working and never raised any children of her own and all of a sudden took on this snotty-nosed probably bratty as all get out, two-year-old, because I wasn't taught anything. And she began to take me to church on the weekends. But that was all that she did. She was just involved in my life on the weekends. But you would not believe just what that little amount of sanity in my life did for me. I slept in a bed. I went to bed at a normal time. I ate nutritious food and I had clothes, something that I didn't normally have in my life. My life was very unstable with my mom. And so just that amount, even at that young two to three years old, I knew there's something good there. That is, that is a haven. That is something secure. I don't have to worry what kind of man my mom is bringing around. This is safe. No one's going to hurt me. No one's going to touch me. 
No one's going to try to give me drugs. This is a good, safe place. And the people at church, they were amazing. They were giving. They were kind. Mm. They were so different than the realm of people that I were hanging out with. But during the week, I would go with my mom, kind of go back into chaos. And the weekends, I was back into that safe haven. Mm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine taking somebody for the weekend? And you think, oh, man, that was a long weekend. And they think, like, that's the rightest two days of my life. Yeah. When did it, it obviously progressed. Yeah, so. And it became legal at some point or foster care at some point. So I think Florence began to see some behavioral issues in my life. And she started to see some, um, just some things that a three to four-year-olds should not act like. And so she began to get a little bit more involved. And she would also bring me to her family, which was up in Canada. She's Canadian, so she's an alien and um, living the Florida life. And she um, brought me to her family because she thought, this will probably be the last weekend or this will be the last summer I get to be the Florence. Or she had no legal rights. She had no way to kind of... Just out of relationship with Liz. Yeah, yeah, it it just was like a friend thing. Hey, I'm bringing Crystal over can you watch her this week or whatever? So um, she brought me to a family. I saw a family system for the first time. Florence was single, so I didn't get to see dad and mom and kids operate. It was amazing. I loved it. It was like, this is how the other world lives. It was, uh, it was very um, nurturing and safe and just a haven for me to see how a family worked. And as the state got more involved, um, I had to go to counseling, and I had to get IQ tests, and they watched me play house, and I knew how to play house. I saw how a mom and dad nurtured their kids and put them to bed and fed them, and they had regular schedules in their life, and, um, and I, I knew how to play house. It was, it, was, it was amazing, and Florence knew that she had to get me out of that situation and put me more into a safer situation. She, she got more involved with the state, more involved mm-hmm. legally, and was Talk able about to help me. Talk about, and this is something that we think a lot about with kids who are in foster care or adopted. You still totally loved Liz. Mm -hmm. And talk Mm -hmm. about being on the porch and just the, Mm -hmm. even though there was good in being with Florence, the pain of. Yeah. So you live this dual life where you know that that life is chaotic. You know that life, what your mom chooses to do is not right. It's not good because you see the other side. There's a lot of kids who never get to see that other side. They live in chaos all the time. Um, It might be just kind of this far dream that they have that one day they can live a normal life. But um, I had this dual life where I go back into this this life of these revolving men and jealous boyfriends and and pot and drinking and just up all night. And I had the safe haven of Florence, but I still loved my mom. She was my mom. I was connected to her. I loved her. I wanted the best for her. I wanted her to be safe. I wanted her to have what I was having. Um, But, you know, as I you know, as you kind of grew a little bit older, so I'm getting more like into the six, seven-year-old where I'm still doing this lifestyle of back and forth, back and forth, um, three different schools in second grade. I mean, it was just like this bouncing around life. But, um, you know, I never knew when my mom was going to come back for me, but I always hoped for her to come back. So I'd sit and wait for her for hours and hours because my mom, Florence, would say, your mom's coming today to pick you up. And then it would be two weeks later, and she still wasn't there. So you have, I don't know, this this heart that is kind of divided, that you love this safe haven, but you also 
love your mom and even though this life is chaotic and and different but you just kind of have this dual life and this hanging on to to something because i'm i'm still in my mom's care and liz's care so at some point liz dropped crystal off and said i'll be back in the afternoon and the way you tell the story is you sat on that porch for three weeks and mom never came back and so at some point it broke and mom never returned and you went into foster care and different families and kind of felt shopped for, you know, that process. And, and as good as it is, it's still difficult. And because lit, uh, Florence, tell us about Florence, why she couldn't adopt you. Um, f- because Florence was single and because she was an older lady, the state of Florida told her, 70s, yeah. yeah, early 80s, late 70s, you know, basically you have nothing to offer her. You cannot give her a future. You cannot give her college because of your economic background or your status. And they basically said, she's fine to stay here with you, but there are going to be families that are going to come and are going to want to be interested in adopting her. And um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that these families were shopping for me. I should have behaved better, but anyways. <laughs> I, just, I just thought they were coming to drop by. You just, you're not aware as a child that this is what's happening in your life. But um, God in his good plan allowed me to stay with Florence and she became my rescuer and she became that safe haven that I was able to stay with throughout um, throughout my junior high and teenage years and uh, she sacrificed a lot she gave up a lot but I think that God blessed her a million times over for her obedience to care for a forgotten one an abandoned one and um, Florence Florence is my hero she uh, (laughs) So she was, she was 64 at the time and had never been married and uh, had her heart broken in the war and never married, never had kids, and so fell in love through this process that we're talking about, fell in love with Crystal. And a family came pretty close to saying, all right, we want Crystal. And, and Florence said, enough. And she went home and she marri- married a guy from her hometown that had become a widower. <laughs> And uh, the next week was able to adopt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This, is, this isn't a Sunday on why to get married, okay? Can you imagine? Especially if you're single. Can you imagine being single until you're 60? And eventually taking this child in. And then... Just the ultimate sacrifice, really, is, is marrying somebody who's used to being married. And you've been single your whole life. And everything that marriage means and just, just giving it all up to rescue someone. Giving it all to rescue someone. So Florence is my hero. Yeah, she is amazing. She did. She got married, and boom, the adoption pa- papers were signed. So at nine years old, I became legally hers. I was her daughter. Um, I took the name of my adopted dad, so I became I was Crystal Myers, and I became Crystal Barkhouse. So the children in elementary school had no idea how to figure me out or what in the world <laughs> was up with me, and um, I'd be half a year in Canada and half a year in Florida. And so um, it, was a li- it was a bit rocky for a while there, but... Um, my Tell what it meant to have a mom and a dad. And it was it yours. was amazing. It was just I'm normal now. I'm I'm like everybody else. I have a mom. I have a dad. I, um, you know, I have cousins. I have people who love me. And it was 
it was amazing. And I also found Jesus at nine years old as well. And that was my time. It was a total year of redemption, being rescued and redeemed. And so it was an amazing year. Two years later, unfortunately, my, my dad did leave, so I wasn't really raised with a father, but I was raised with my mom. And um, I was quite bitter. I became bitter in my older years. And a Sunday school teacher shared with me um, a verse, Psalms 27.10. And um, it became kind of my life verse and what I, what I hung on to. And it says, when your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take care of you. And there's many different translations to that. But basically, if you're abandoned, forsaken by a mom or a dad, that God is the one who will take care of you. And that was true in my life, and he did, and he took care of me, and he rescued me from my situation. Um, The good news is I found my mom again at 16. I have a relationship with her, and, um, and she... She's sober now, and she is um, not using. Um, unfortunately, she still has some bad habits in her life, some things that are still kind of destructive. And I have a half-brother and a half-sister, but we have a, a relationship now together, and it's been healing, and we're moving forward. And I've been able to tell her that you are my hero. You did not have to choose to sign off that you would be willing to give me up to a better life, to a safe haven, to be rescued, but you did. And I knew that took a lot for her to do that. It takes a lot for the ladies to give up their babies all over the world, knowing that they're giving them up for a better place, for a secure place. And um, I am so thankful to God that he saved me, that he rescued me. He saved me for a purpose, for a plan. And... Um, I just thank you for letting me share that with you. And yeah. You know, um, God says that you and I are orphans in our lostness away from him that we need to be, we need to be rescued, we need to be adopted as his and, and that we should care about people, people who are left and abandoned. And I would... If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and if this is a new idea to you, I would just encourage you to say, God, what is this?